Welcome to the MPYA podcast. MPYA is a gathering designed specifically for young adults. In this podcast, you'll hear messages from our gatherings, as well as conversations that we hope will help you navigate these defining years of your life. We hope you'll join us as we explore practical ways we can follow Jesus in our everyday lives. As always, be sure to follow us on Instagram, at North Point Young Adults, and subscribe to the podcast if you like what you hear. But with that in mind, let's jump into this week's episode. get started. Everyone make your way back to your seats. And as you're doing that, I am going to read our teaching text for the night, which if you are not familiar with this or this is your first time ever here, we like to just read the scripture that Nathan will be preaching over tonight just to kind of get it on your minds, get it on your hearts. And we believe that there's something just really powerful about saying scripture out loud. So Nathan will be teaching on Hebrews 12, verses 28 through 29, and it says this. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. And this is the word of the Lord. Young adults, how we doing? Good to see you all. It feels wonderful in here. Thank you, band. Thank you, Kayla. I just have to say from the start, if you weren't at the retreat, you missed out. Like, it just was beautiful, so much fun, an amazing time of community, and God met us in a way that is hard to put into words. I know we said that a lot, and we had pictures, and blah, 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 and I hope you have FOMO, because we do plan to do it again, and I really want you to sign up, but it just was beautiful. But I also want to say that just like God can meet us in the basement of a cabin in Cleveland, he can meet us in the same exact way, if not more, right here, right now, tonight. And that's what I'm praying about tonight. That's what I'm praying for. That's what I'm believing for. So I'm going to jump in. We're in a series called Resurrender. Resurrender. Clay kicked us off uh, last time, and we're going to kind of be journeying through this series called Resurrender for a while. And Resurrender, this series, our heart behind it is all about coming back to the core of our faith, coming back to the center, coming back to the gospel, coming back to the true gospel. It's really easy. I don't know if you're anything like me, but my heart is prone to wonder. There's that old hymn, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the courts I love. And so my heart is prone to wonder, and I can follow Jesus day after day, month after month, year after year. And there's things that get added onto my faith, and my faith takes kind of twists and turns, and then I look back, and if I'm not careful, I can look back and say, I'm not sure this is what Jesus meant when he said, follow me. I've added some things to it, I've taken some things away from it, I've twisted some things, I've changed some things, and so we just want to say as a people, we're re-surrendering to the initial call of what God said when he said, follow me. That's our heart. It, it really was inspired out of this song called Resurrender. And I just want to read some lyrics to you tonight. Verse one says this. You're turning over tables and calling for return to our lives upon the altar, the things we did at first. 
You're clearing out the temple. You're cleaning out the dirt. For we are your territory, Lord. We are your church. We are your people, and you are our God. We are your temple. Make us holy like you are. That's what re-surrender is all about. And so tonight, I want to look at re-surrendering something, an aspect of our faith back to him. Resurrender just means to yield anew. I love that definition. It's really simple. To yield anew. And if you have your Bibles, I just want to say, if you have your Bibles or Bible on your phone, I would love for you to get it out. We're going to be all over Scripture, teaching through some passages. And if you have notes, I would love for you to take some. But to yield anew. And tonight, we're going to be talking about resurrendering something that our culture says to stay away from completely. Actually, not just stay away from it. If you have it in your life, get it out. And not only that, but if you have it in your life, get it out. You want to decrease it more and more as you go throughout life. There's been people that have spent their entire lives, given their entire lives to eradicating this very thing. People have researched it and tried to build research and figure out how to get this out of people's lives. They've built technology, more and more advancements to get it out of people's lives. We're supposed to fight it. We're taught to fight it, fight it more and more. And then as you go, as you get older, the more life goes on, it should decrease more and more. And I think God's calling us to resurrender this tonight. What am I talking about? What is this? It's fear. To resurrender fear to Him. There's two types of fear, and I want to be very clear tonight. There's two types of fear. And I want to make a very clear distinction, and so you know what I'm talking about and what I'm not talking about. There's two types of fear there's an unhealthy fear and a healthy fear. There's a constructive fear and a destructive fear. There's an irrational fear and a rational fear. And we're not talking about unhealthy fear tonight that we're going to resurrender to the Lord. We're talking about having a healthy fear of him. An unhealthy fear, an example is, of that is, and there, there's all kinds of examples. You could give me a million. But one example I thought of is an unhealthy fear. If you say, hey, I know that people get into wrecks. And so I'm never going to get in a car a day in my life. Chances are, if you're in this room tonight, you've, you've gotten a car tonight to come here. You might have taken public transportation. You might have walked. I don't know. Chances are you probably didn't fly here. But chances are you probably took a car here. And an unhealthy fear, an example of that is, hey, I am so scared because I know wrecks exist and if you live in Atlanta, you really know wrecks exist, especially if you're on 400. They exist. And so I'm never going to get in a car a day in my life because I'm so scared of it. That holds you back. That keeps you from so much in life. That's an unhealthy fear. That's a destructive fear, an irrational fear. And healthy fear is, hey, when I come across a bear hiking, I'm not going to go up to it and start petting the cubs. Because I have a respect and a healthy fear. And I'm not going to charge after it and try and get a 
picture that I can post on my story that's super up close and selfie. Like, no, that's stupid. I was thinking about this, and a few years ago in 2020 when it was COVID and everybody had to stay away from each other, they all went outside, and we all went outside together. And so we, me and a couple friends went to Jackson Hole, one of my favorite places on earth. I'm wearing a shirt about it tonight. I didn't plan that. But we went to Jackson Hole, and we're like, hey, we're going to go hiking in the Tetons. I love the Tetons. They're amazing. We're going to go hiking there. We try, we're on all trails the night before trying to figure figure out a hike, what's cool, what's not, and you wouldn't even believe it. Somehow we got on TikTok and figure out there's a hike that was viral on TikTok in the Tetons, and so we're like, great. TikTok is giving us our hiking instructions now, which is amazing. So we figure out this hike to do. It's called Delta Lake. We start looking it up on all trails. It's like hard to find on all trails. We figure out it used to be a trail and then it closed. The park service closed it because it got overcrowded. Too many people were getting hurt on it. So they put a big fence up. You're not supposed to do it, but people do it all the time. They jump the fence. You just keep going, blah, 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 blah. And we're like, great, we're doing it. I mean, we're jumping the fence. It doesn't matter. We're doing it. The pictures look awesome. So the day of, that morning, we go to the grocery store. We've got like a, I don't know, it's a nine-mile hike, something. And we needed to get some snacks, some food, some water, all that good stuff. We get Cliff Bars. We get gummies. We get fruit snacks. I'm a Mott's person. We get water. We get Gatorade. All that stuff. And then I remember we were checking out, and at each end cap of the grocery store, Albertsons, it's a cool grocery store in Jackson Hole, each end cap had this stuff called bear spray. And we look at it, and we're like, ah, you know, that actually would be helpful. I know there's bears out here. Maybe we should just pick some up. It's right here. We probably need it. We'll just get it. Rather be safe than sorry. I don't know what I would do if a bear came up on us. And then we see the price tag, and it's 50 bucks for bear spray. And then there's a big label on it. You cannot fly with this stuff. So don't even think about getting on an airplane and taking it home and coming back and using the same can of bear spray next time you come. It's like one and done. You're either going to use it or you're not. And so us being guys, we're like, no, we don't need that stuff. <laughs> so we didn't buy it. We didn't spend the 50 bucks. We go to the... Um, National Park, we're pulling in, we stop at the ranger station, the lady's like, hey, what hike are you doing today? Can I help you figure out where you need to park, what access you need? Oh, um, we're doing Delta Lake. She's like, yeah, um, that's actually not a hike anymore. We can't condone it, we don't suggest it, it's closed by our standards. Uh, we just had to get a helicopter out here last week because somebody fell on the rocks and had to be helicoptered out, and we're like, Okay, great. Window up. Delta Lake. We're going straight on there. So then we, we're going to Delta Lake. We're just hiking Delta Lake. We get there and we're just like, hey guys, if we can just stay close to people that have bear spray, because we don't have it. And we feel like exposed in this moment because you see everybody else and they've got the bear spray like strapped on the strap of their backpack. It's not even like in the holder that you got to have it close this is like life or death in split second. So we're like, we're just gonna stay close to people and we don't even need to spend the 50 bucks. And then we start hiking and we see these signs everywhere. I have a picture of one. This is, I took this. Bear attack. Are you prepared to avoid one? B 
be alert, make noise, carry bear spray. And those things were about every 10 feet. And we just felt more and more guilty as we kept walking. But we're like, we're already too far in. So we just keep going. We get up there. We're following people with bear sprays. We're trying to clap, make a lot of noise, people ringing bells, the whole nine yards. We get up there. It's beautiful. We eat some sort of little lunch, we jump in the lake, it's freezing, we take pictures. I remember we took a nap on a rock and then we're like, all right, it's time to head out. So we get, start heading back down. Again, we're just trying to follow people with bear spray. If we're just like, if we can just stay with people, I don't even know if they have bear spray, I don't care, it just feels more safe. So we're walking, following people and then we get separated from people for a minute And then I come around this turn, and there's about 10 people all grouped up. Nobody's saying a word, and they're all doing this with their bear spray. And I was like, what is it? (laughs) Must be a lizard, you know? (laughs) And they're like, there's a mom and three cubs right there. And they're eating berries and just grazing. They just walked across the trail. It's a big grizzly. You know what I didn't do in that moment? I didn't get off the trail and go share some berries with the bears. I didn't want to go pet it. I didn't want to go like take a picture. We stood there freaking out. And I'm glad that we had like 14 bear spray people just locked and loaded. But I was scared because I had a respect and a reverence for those bears. And that fear and that respect saved my life. And healthy fear leads to wisdom and wisdom saves your life. So that's what I wanna talk about tonight. Having a healthy fear of the Lord or another way to say it, a healthy awe, A-W-E, awe of the Lord. Proverbs 9.10 says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Growing up, we used to go on road trips out west and I remember I was nine years old. We go to the Grand Canyon and my mom and my grandpa are like, Nathan, stay on the trail. Don't cross that line. Nathan, stay on the trail. Do not cross that line. And then she pulls out the middle name. Nathan Styles. don't go another three feet. If you take one more step, I'm gonna kill you, you know? And then it's like, no, actually I could kill myself. Because if I take 10 more steps, I'm going over the edge a mile deep into the canyon. Taking a nine-year-old to the Grand Canyon is like taking a bull on the top of an Empire State Building. It's just a recipe for disaster. But my mom and my grandpa and I learned they had a healthy fear of the canyon. And because of that healthy fear, they could enjoy the beauty and the wonder and the awe and the majesty of the Grand Canyon. Having a healthy fear of the Lord allows us to do the same thing. We enjoy his beauty, his wonder, his majesty, how grand he is, how amazing he is. And that's what I want us to talk about tonight. What does it look like? Hopefully we answer this question. What does it look like to have a healthy fear of God? 
I wanna develop a theology for us, a working theology. What does it look like for you and for me to have a healthy fear of God? And no, I'm not talking about the overpriced shirts and clothes that Jerry Lorenzo designs, even though I think they're cool. I just can't afford it. So bottom line, a healthy fear of God doesn't make you scared of God. It actually makes you terrified of being away from God. Having a healthy fear of God in our life doesn't make you scared of him. With all of his love and mercy and grace, that is who he is. That is when he meets us most. That is how he embraces us. It doesn't make us scared of him. It actually makes us terrified of being away from him. So first thing tonight, there is no difference, or there is a difference rather, between fearing God and being scared of God. I wanna make that distinction early on. There is a difference between being scared of God and fearing God. The Bible says, and you might be thinking, Nathan, what are you talking about? The Bible says 365 times, one for every day. Fear not, fear not, fear not. Fear not because I am with you. 365 times, you can find that in scripture. Fear not, and you're like, Nathan, what are we talking about? Fear of God. It's saying over and over again, one for every day, fear not. But if you look at the context of all of those, those are all in context of unhealthy fears or destructive fears like we talked about earlier, like fear not, you can get in a car even though there are wrecks that happen. It's irrational fears. On the other side of that, there's 200, script, uh, 200 verses in scripture that say fear God. So we've got 365 fear nots when in context they're all about destructive fears and 200 scriptures saying fear God. So we've gotta figure out what do those mean? And what do the 200 verses that say fear God talk about? And what do they mean for you and for me? And here's the thing, having a healthy fear of God, and I really believe this, actually can eradicate all unhealthy or destructive fears in our life. It doesn't add more fear to our life. It doesn't add anxiety to our life. It doesn't add stress. It doesn't add a burden. It doesn't add like being scared more often to our life. I actually think having a healthy fear of God can eradicate all other unhealthy fears in our life. Spurgeon says this, Charles Spurgeon, the fear of God is the death of every fear. Like a mighty lion, it chases all other fears before it. Exodus 20, 18 to 20, we're gonna read. I would love to, for you to turn there if you're there. Find it in your Bibles. Moses and the Israelites are having this conversation. The Israelites had just had an encounter with God. So they had just had an encounter with God and then we pick up the story when they're responding to Moses and they are freaked out. So we pick up in verse 18. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off and they said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Could you imagine? It's like, Moses, please, just you talk to me, not God. I'm scared of him. Verse 20, Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. This is a little confusing when you read it just like at first glance. First in verse 20, Moses says, do not fear. And then what does he say? 
God has come to test you that the fear of him. So it's like, Moses, what are you trying to say? Do not fear or fear. What are you saying? And if you look at the language and the context, the first do not fear that he mentions there is saying, hey, don't be scared. It's the unhealthy fear. Don't have an unhealthy fear of God. Don't be scared of him. Don't let it be irrational. But rather the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. I love how the message puts this. And that last part of the verse, it says that he may instill a deep and reverent awe within you. That he may instill a deep and reverent awe within you. Being scared of God means you are terrified of being close to him. But having an awe of God means you are terrified of being away from him. And that's what we want to resurrender tonight. And healthy fear of God doesn't make you scared of him. It actually makes you terrified of being away from him. It's just like a good, loving parent. If you have a good, loving parent, you have a healthy respect and reverence and awe because you know they love you more than anybody else on this planet and that they want what's best for you and they know more than you and want your best in mind and they love you like none other and they meet you with grace and mercy and you just have a healthy fear of a loving parent. On the other end of that, an unhealthy fear of a parent leads you to being scared and it pushes you away from them and the relationship begins to deteriorate And God's saying tonight, hey, I'm a good father. I'm a loving father. And that's how I want to relate to my children. Being scared of God means that you have something to hide. And we see this in the first story of scripture with Adam and Eve and they sin in the garden. What do they do? They run, they hide, and they make clothes for themselves because they're scared of him. They're hiding something. The person who fears God doesn't say within themselves, how close can I get to this sin? How close is the line without sinning? No, he or she says, I want to be so close to God and so far away from that sin that I can't even see the line. That's the person who has a healthy fear of the Lord. That's the person who has a healthy awe, A-W-E, of God. We want to be intimate with God and he wants to be intimate with us. How can we have intimacy with someone who we're afraid of, who we're scared of, unhealthy, scared? Psalm 27, eight, we know this is God's heart. This is what he says. You have said, seek my face. That's what God has said to his people, seek my face. The psalmist writes, my heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. J.A. Spender says this, fear God, yes, but don't be afraid of him. They're two different things. Fear them, yes, but don't be afraid of them. Healthy versus unhealthy. So secondly, what is holy fear? What is holy fear? You may hear those words and they're like frightening. They're triggering. But I wanna assure you the opposite is true. Developing a healthy, holy fear of the Lord is actually the most loving invitation that we could ever receive. He's inviting us to come under his wings, 
to come under his protection. Because remember, someone who has a healthy fear of God is actually terrified from being away from him. It's an invitation. Holy fear is a gift of love, a protection from our creator. It's an invitation of love and protection from God. That's what having a healthy fear looks like. And you may say, Nathan, okay, this makes sense. I'm kind of on board, but are you sure like you're only reading the first half of the Bible and not the second half of the Bible? Didn't like this fear of God concept go away when Jesus came and was love, like God's expression of love on this earth? And I want to look at Hebrews 12. Kayla read it earlier. The writer of Hebrews, New Testament, this is after Jesus had come, died, and rose again, says this. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. To fear God is to have reverence for him and to be in complete awe. Of him. Another way to say it is to fear God is to hallow him or to be hallowed. And where else, crowd participation, where else is that word hallowed used? Thank you, Jacob. The Lord's Prayer. The disciples come to Jesus and they're saying, Jesus, teach us to pray. And how does he begin? Our Father, hallowed be your name. So Jesus, who was God in a body, was teaching the disciples to have a healthy fear of the Lord, a healthy, holy fear. I want to look at Isaiah 6, 1 through 5. I want to give you a little bit of context. This is the king, this is the year that King Uzziah had died, and Isaiah, who was the prophet, who wrote this book, Isaiah, was taken up into heaven and he got a glimpse of the Lord and his throne and he writes about it. So let's read in verse, five, or verse one going to five. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, with two he covered his face, and two he covered his feet, and with the two he flew. Verse three, and one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, and the whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Isaiah talking, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King and the Lord of hosts. The angels aren't singing holy, 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 so God can feel good about himself. The angels are merely responding to what they see. And what do they see? His holiness. That's what the angels are doing. They're just responding to what they see. So much so that it says they have to cover their eyes with two of their wings and cover their feet. They can't even look at the Lord's glory in full. They can't even like step on the same ground that he's on. 
because his glory and holiness and righteousness and love and mercy and grace and kindness and goodness and gentleness is radiating so much, their only response is holy, holy, holy. It's interesting here because it's repeated three times, but the angels actually didn't repeat that three times. When a Hebrew writer wanted to show emphasis on something, he would write the word twice. You see this in the New Testament sometimes. It would be like, Lord, Lord. It's like, okay, did you actually just say the word twice or what's going on here? No, that was their way of emphasizing a word. They didn't have like bold or italics or all caps or exclamation. So they would write the word twice to emphasize it. Very rarely did a writer ever write a word three times. In fact, it's only used a couple times in scripture. The angel's response, holy, holy, holy. And it talks about how the, the house and the thresholds were shaking at the voice of the angels. He's emphasizing, it's like an echo Holy, holy, holy. They're not just making God feel good about himself. They're responding to what they see. What do they see? His holiness. Isaiah's response, I love this in Isaiah 6, 5, verse 5. What did he say when he saw this? Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. For I am lost, woe is me. Another way, some translations say, for I am undone when he sees the Lord in all of his glory and holiness. We see this response all throughout scripture. Job was disgusted with himself. Ezekiel fell on his face before the Lord. Abraham fell on his face. Moses trembled, it says. And the disciple John, New Testament, had an encounter with the glorified Jesus after Jesus was went to the grave, died for our sins, risen three days later, ascended into heaven. In Revelation 1, we get this account of what John sees. Let's read verse 1, 17, Revelation. He says this, when I saw him, talking about the glorified Jesus, that for those of us that are brothers and sisters in Christ, we will see one day. This is what John says. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not, I am the first and the last. I love that because John is exercising a healthy, holy fear of God and Jesus' response is just fear not. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's like he's tying a bow on all of it. John falling at the feet of our king. Joy Dawson says this, when we see him face to face in all of his awesome holiness and blazing glory, it will seem incredible to us that we ever had a casual thought in relation to him, the glorified Christ. See, there's an infinite gap between you and I and our holy, righteous, loving, merciful, gracious God. An infinite gap that we could never be good enough, we could never span, we could never do enough to make the gap closer, wider, get a little bit closer to Jesus. The gap is infinite. But getting a right view of God and developing a healthy, 
holy fear of him doesn't minimize the gospel one bit. It actually maximizes it. When we get a right view of God and realize just how holy he is, just how righteous he is, just how loving he is and gracious and merciful, and he's radiating all of that all the time, perfect, died a sinner's death that we deserve, lived a perfect life, died on the cross three days later, rose for our sins, defeated death, hell, and the grave so we could live forever. He bridged that infinite gap. And the wider the gap is, and guys, it's wide. Just like everybody that responded in scripture, man, we are unclean. We are sinful. Left up to us, we are dead in our trespasses. The wider the gap is, the more beautiful the gospel is because God spanned that entire gap and came to earth and died for you and for me so we could have a relationship with him. He wants to know us intimately and personally and walk with us. What did he say in Psalms? Seek my face, walk with me. We realize just how unworthy we are of his love, his mercy, and his grace. A healthy, holy fear of God doesn't minimize the gospel at all. It maximizes it. So what does this mean for us? Like, what do we do with it? We've got some sort of a working theology, hopefully. What does it mean for us? And lastly, I wanna wrap up with this. When we fear God, we take on his heart. When we have an awe of God, we take on his heart. We love what he loves and we hate what he hates. What's important to him becomes important to us. What's not important to him becomes not important to us. The things that we struggle with that aren't important to him, they're not important to us anymore. We rearrange our lives when we have a healthy, holy fear of God. It starts shifting things in us. It changes our heart. It changes us from the inside out. We begin to see our life transform because we just have this reverence and awe for the Lord and how good he is and how unworthy I am of him and his sacrifice and to walk with him, even to read his scriptures and to say his name. God, how unworthy we are. To fear God is to hate sin. To fear God is to hate injustice, to depart from evil, to walk in love, to walk in humility, to give him praise, to be a person of peace, to obey him, to live out the fruit of the spirit. The all of God shapes our intentions, our thoughts, our words, and our actions. It changes everything for us. That's what I'm after tonight. That's what we're after. God, we need to be changed. Having a healthy fear of God should affect every part of our lives. I believe really and truly that this is one of the greatest weapons we have to spiritual warfare. Having a healthy fear of the Lord, a reverence and an awe of him. Because yes, we have a reverence and an awe of him, but we know that we stand in victory We know that he died for you and for me. 
And I just have to think about the reverence and the awe and the trembling and the terror that our enemy has to have when he sees our God in his perfect righteousness and holiness and glory that's radiating. And we stand in victory and the enemy has been defeated. Man, how he shakes. He's left powerless. His holiness should lead to our holiness in our lives. Just like Proverbs 9.10 says, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And that wisdom might just save your life. Barna did a, store, a study. Barna's a big Christian research company. They did a study a couple years ago. And they found that 40 million Americans had walked away from the faith in the last 20 years. 40 million. And that's not just like 40 million Americans aren't Christians. No, 40 million walked away from the faith. If you do the math on that, that's one in 10 Americans in the last 20 years have walked away from the faith. That's not one in 10 Christians in America. One in 10 Americans have walked away from the faith. We have a problem. The church has a problem. Having a healthy fear of God gives us staying power to stay, accept the invitation to stay under his love and his protection, to stay under his wings. I wanna be close to him. I'm actually terrified from getting away from him. That's what a fear of God looks like. John Bevere, who wrote a book called All of God, I'm reading it right now, you should read it too. He talks about this and he talks about how he was friends in the 1990s with one of the most famous evangelists in the world. Like he was an household name, famous evangelist. Preaching to millions, traveling the world, had led millions to Christ, built an insane ministry, had done ministry for 40 years, four decades of laying his life down for the Lord, serving people, preaching his word and his gospel. He's friends with them, 1990. And then it comes out that he had an affair with his wife, this evangelist. He had an affair with his wife had stolen tons of money from the ministry that he started. He ended up going to prison for it, was serving a prison sentence. Not much has changed. And John says, he tells the story that he went to go visit him in prison. It's his friend. And he sat down across from him and just said, man, I've gotta know, this question has been bugging me. When did you stop loving Jesus? And John says the guy turned to him and he said, I never did. I loved Jesus all the way through it. I stopped fearing him. And I just wonder how many of us are in that boat tonight. Man, you followed him for years. You've never stopped loving him. 
You gave your life to Christ when you were nine. You remember it. It's clear as day. You got baptized, maybe even in this church. You can remember it. Upstreet, Transit, IOs, amazing small group leaders. And your life just looks different. And it's nowhere where you thought it would be. It's actually in shambles. And if I asked you, man, when did you stop loving Jesus? What changed? And you say, actually, I love Jesus all the way through it. I still love him to this day. But I stopped fearing him. I stopped having a healthy, holy fear of the Lord. How many of us need to resurrender our awe of him tonight? You've caught a glimpse of who he is like Isaiah and those angels and you need to lay down on your face before the Lord and just resurrender your healthy, holy fear of the Lord because you realize how big that gap is and that he spanned all of it to have a relationship with me and with you and you and all of us if we accept him. I wanna end with just this quick demonstration and hang with me here because it gets a little technical, but we know our God's a creator. He's creator God. And we know scientists have told us in science over the years that there are billions of galaxies in the universe. In our universe that we live in, billions And each galaxy has approximately 100 million stars. So there's a billion galaxies and each of those billion have 100 million stars. And we live today on earth in the Milky Way galaxy, just one of the billion galaxies. And our Milky Way galaxy has 100 million stars in it. And most of the stars in our galaxy we cannot see we can't see, with, you know, at night, we go out and we see stars. We can't see most of the hundred million. The closest star other than the sun is 4.3 light years away. So we know the sun is the closest star to our earth. It gives us life, it gives us heat, it gives us light. But the next closest of the hundred million, 4.3 light years away, And light travels at a speed of 186,202 miles per second. 186,000 miles per second. The next closest star, 4.3 light years away. That's 670 million miles per hour that light travels. Our planes that we have today that have been transformational for our world, some of the best technology we've ever created are in our planes and they just keep getting better and better and better unless you get on a Boeing. Anyways, planes fly at 500 miles per hour. 
And so if we took a nonstop flight from Earth to the sun, which is the closest star of the 100 million in our one galaxy, of the billion galaxies that are in our universe, if we took a nonstop flight, we were leaving tonight, heading to the sun, it would take us 21 years at 500 miles per hour to reach the closest star in our galaxy. That's our creator God. That's the God that we worship. The next nearest star that isn't the sun would be even past that. And if we had a scale of the earth was the size of a peppercorn, a tiny little peppercorn. And the sun, which is the closest star in our galaxy was an eight inch ball. It's like a small dodgeball. The distance between the peppercorn, which is our earth, and the eight inch ball, which is our sun, would be 26 yards. That's 75 feet. That's the closest star. Peppercorn, eight inch ball, 26 yards. The next nearest star past the sun, if the earth was a peppercorn, sun's at eight inch ball, the next nearest star would be 4,000 miles away from that peppercorn. That's the next nearest of the 100 million. That would take, if we got in a plane tonight to go to the next nearest star other than our sun in our galaxy, our one galaxy of the billion that are out there, it would take 51 billion years to get there. And that's just our galaxy called the Milky Way. And our Milky Way just makes up one of the billion galaxies in our universe. And our God created it all. And in his righteousness and his glory and his love and mercy and grace that meets us every time, no matter where we're at. He says, I wanna have a relationship with you. I wanna walk with you. I wanna spend my days. I want you to spend your days seeking my face, the psalmist writes. That's how big our God is. So what is our response? What's our response to that? The only thing I can think is to join the songs of the angels, crying out, holy, holy, holy are you, Lord God Almighty. Holy. I've taken you for granted. I haven't really understood the depth of your grandeur and just how righteous you are and your glory that radiates beyond generations and you created this whole thing and the earth is a peppercorn and somehow I'm on that peppercorn and this is your story that you're inviting me into. This is not my story. This world and this galaxy and this universe doesn't revolve around me and I've been acting like it does. 
And tonight, I'm getting back to the point where I say, God, this is your story and you've invited me into it. And it is the greatest honor and joy and privilege of my life just to have a role in it. So I will spend my days serving you, loving you, pursuing you, walking with you, walking with his people. And ultimately, I will spend my days on my knees, on my face before the Lord, just saying, holy, holy, holy. Because you're worthy of it all. So I wanna pray, we're gonna sing. And I don't know what God is speaking to you tonight, but I just wanna say you have the freedom to respond however you feel led. And reading those words and those scripture, I can't imagine not having a response for our holy God who invites him into our story and loves us unconditionally with all of his love and mercy and grace. Let's pray. God, forgive us for when we've been too casual about you. We flippantly mentioned you or said your name. God, we're sorry when we've just been so casual that we forget just how big you are how amazing you are, the infinite gap between us as man and woman and you as creator God. And we've acted like it's no big deal. We've minimized the gospel in our life. And we say tonight as a people that we're done with that, that we have a reverence and an awe for you, not because we're scared of you, we're actually terrified from being away from you and under your protection and under your wings. So Jesus, we fall down at your feet and we join the song of the angels just crying out, holy. We love you, Jesus. We don't deserve you. We don't deserve you, Jesus. In your name, amen. Thanks for tuning in to the NPYA podcast. To learn more about us, you can follow us on social media at North Point Young Adults or head to our website, northpoint.org slash youngadults. And if you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you hit that subscribe button so you never miss one. See y'all next time.